Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 125. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping, backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> Get headquartered. A timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I'm still working on my Madden Turtles books and also articles about the Richie Rich comic strip, Charlton Comics, and Popeye. I also just created the index for the proof for the Total Television Scrapbook. Uh, no news at the moment for my Disney, Pac-Man, and Warren Kremer books, but I will let you know when it comes out. On today's show, we feature a member of the New Christie Minstrels, the Modern Folk Quartet, and the Love and Spoonful. He was also a producer for albums by Pat Boone and the Turtles. Here he is, Jerry Yester. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with the Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have a special guest, a one-time member of the Love and Spoonful, and he did some producing for the Turtles, which is what we're really talking about today. Uh, this is Jerry Yester. How are you, sir? Not too shabby. <laughs> okay, so um, before we go into the Turtles talk, which I'm working on a book on the Turtles with a friend of mine named Charles Rosenay. Um just tell me a little bit about yourself, and you were in a couple different groups, so I guess tell me a little bit about the New Christie Minstrels, Modern Folk Quartet, and Love and Spoonful, how you kind of got into that. Uh, well, the New Christie Minstrels, I was in a founding member of that for the very first album. Never did perform with them because it was not supposed to be a recording group, I mean a, a performing group. And uh, uh, at that time, it was a group of groups, and it was the Randy Sparks Three, uh, there was another group whose name slips my mind. It's okay. <laughs> uh, there were like uh, two or three members of that. Uh, and the in-group, I-N-N, which I was a member of with John Forche and Carol Dugan. Hmm. And, uh, and then uh, um, Dolan Ellis, um, Terry Wadsworth, and Art Padell uh, kind of rounded it out. And uh, Bill Cudmore, he was a member of the Flint Ridge Four. Mm-hmm. with Carol and John, actually, but uh, Carol and John left the Flint Ridge Four, and we formed the in-group, and then uh, Bill was added to the Christie's. And then we went on our first road trip, my very first road trip, uh, and ours, to Oklahoma City, Denver, and Salt Lake City. And while we were in Oklahoma City, Randy called and said, you got to get back here. We're doing the Andy Williams show. <laughs> we said, we got three contracts we can't get out of. You're going to have to replace us. And so they did. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that lead to the modern folk quartet, or is that the same thing? Maybe I'm... Uh, well, um, actually, <laughs> to tell you the truth, uh, um, on a one-time evening with John Forche's sister, we had a little uh, uh, <laughs> uh, romantic episode, uh, only one, which led to uh, my oldest son, who's now 58. <laughs> wow. That's older than and me. I didn't, I'm 54. <laughs> I didn't meet him until uh, eight years ago or seven and a half years ago. And uh, uh, he, he found me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had told, uh, I had four daughters, and I told them uh, that there's another sibling out there somewhere, and maybe we'll get a knock on the door someday. And I got a letter, and I called him up, and, a month later, he was here at the house, spent eight days with us. 
and uh, and two of my kids flew in and uh, for that time and it was great. It was absolutely great. And they've all been the five of them have been very close since then, and us too. Anyway, so um, that broke the in group up, <laughs> and. Uh, so I went uh, solo for a little while, just a, a very little while, uh, and then uh, joined uh, the Easy Riders. Hmm. They had a hit in the 50s, uh, All Day, All Night, Marianne. It was the number one record. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of one of the starting uh, records of the folk era kind of started it going. And then the Kingston Trio really got it going. But I joined the group, and it was uh, only one original member. And another good friend of mine, Doug Myers, and I round, made it a trio. We did one album and didn't perform. Uh, we did two solid weeks of uh, intensive rehearsal at CBS Studios. They gave us a room, uh, a little room that we could practice in, and uh, made the album in two three-hour sessions, which is what the Christie's took also, two three-hour sessions. Uh, far cry from today. Right. Uh, and uh, and at the end of that, we uh, thought about performing, but it never happened. And then I got a call from Les Baxter to join the Les Baxter Balladeers, uh, a group he put together to be compete with the Christy Minstrels. And there was one album, two three-hour sessions, and uh, uh, and. Then it was whittled down to six members, I think, maybe five or six members, and did a couple of gigs, and one uh, was booked in Reno. And in that meantime, before Reno, uh, uh, the MFQ had come over from Hawaii, and one of their members had some real serious mental problems and ended up going back to Hawaii, and I replaced him. Uh, his name was Stan White, and uh, uh, and right after I had the first rehearsal with the MFQ or two rehearsals, I went to Reno, and then Herbie Cohen, our manager, called while I was in Reno. Says, "Listen, man, you got to get back here. Uh, we're doing. You guys are doing a movie, Palm Springs Weekend. You're gonna do a little musical interlude in there." So I told uh, Paul Hanson, the leader of the <laughs> Balladeers, I said, oh, my dad has had a heart attack in Yucca, no, in a Joshua Tree, and I've got to go back mm-hmm. laying my face off. And, uh, and he said, okay, and I went back to the, did the movie and came back uh, the next day or day after. And Paul picked me up and he said, so how did it go? And I said, oh, well, you know, he's, he's doing okay. And he said, your mother called while you were gone. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> I, I hadn't spoken to my mother in six months, and she decided to call me, find me in Reno, and called me and talked <laughs> to Paul. And he said, "That's ah, so I would have done the same thing." Paul said, and so after Reno was done, that was it for me in the Balladeers, and <laughs> and the MFQ kicked into gear, and we started performing pretty much right away. Uh, first gig was in Vancouver, came back in Scottsdale, and then we started doing concerts and play the unicorn of course that was herbie's club and uh maybe the troubadour before we left but we moved to new york city uh in the spring of 63 and i joined oh kind of around late january maybe in 63 and by the spring we moved to new york city 
because there was a lot more work out of the East Coast, out of a lot of college concerts and stuff. And our home base uh, in the village, we played the Village Gate a lot. Mm. And uh, that started that. We worked a lot. We were doing a couple hundred concerts a year. You know, we were just happening. Mm -hmm. So then um, the British invasion happened. And uh, uh, it was funny, like that started in February 9th of 64. The Beatles came on the Ed Sullivan show, changed everything with like across Greenwich Village. All the folk clubs by summer became little rock clubs. Uh, and uh, uh, the MFQ started was like a tadpole. First chip went to an electric bass. Then I went to acoustic electric guitar, electrified Henry's banjo. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, by spring of 65, oh, we started doing um, demos with Eric Jacobson, who we'd met on a cross-country tour that we did with the God, not, <laughs> Bessie Griffin and the Gospel Pearls and <laughs> Noblick Upper 10,000 and Lou Gottlieb. And uh, Eric was in the Noblick Upper 10,000. And after that tour, he, and in the summer of 64, he decided he wanted to be a record producer. And he had saved up a bunch of money and started doing demos. So the demos were with Henry and I, John Sebastian, Zalianowski, Cass Elliott, Denny mm. Doherty, um, a couple of other people. And he found a drummer named Styx Evans who played on it. And uh, Felix Popolardi did some stuff a little later on. And they, Eric's first two were uh, Oh Susanna he made with <laughs> Zali singing lead and then Tom Dooley with me singing leads, folk rock versions. And these were like, except for the Springfields, uh, who did Silver Threads and Golden Needles in 62. Okay. This was the first folk rock stuff done that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. But it took really until next spring to really kick it off. And by late 64, the Spoonful got together, first with John uh, and Zolly. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, farmed out to Long Island and got Steve Boone. Right. And Steve had been in a band with Joe Butler, so he recommended Joe as the drummer, and they formed, and they started uh, rehearsing in the basement of the Albert Hotel, and then started performing at the Village Music Hall on uh, 3rd Street, uh, just down from the Night Owl, uh, and a couple blocks from McDougal. And I loved going in and listening to those guys. They were just so amazing in the early days, and I wanted to, they wanted me to help them with vocal arrangements, background vocals. And I went down to see them rehearse in the basement of the Albert. They were rehearsing like three inches of water, you know, with the amplifiers <laughs> up on boxes and stuff. I said, God, don't touch anything. You guys are gonna get electrocuted. But they managed to survive that. And uh, I helped them out with uh, maybe three or four vocal arrangements, you know, backgrounds for stuff on the first album. And they were off and running. And then by spring of 65, the MFQ did a folk rock gig at the Night Owl Cafe as the Fat City Four. And uh, had Buzzy Linhart as our drummer. God bless old Buzzy. He's gone now. But he was on acid that night. And his, <laughs> his tempos were going up and down and up and down. And <laughs> the crash, you hit the crash and was saying, I see the clear light. You know. uh, so we said, oh, we love you, Buzzy, but this ain't going to work. Mm -hmm. And got a kind of a 
Four Seasons type drummer from Brooklyn who worked really well, wore a suit though, and we were just so hip. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, and right after that, we moved to California because with the folk rock scene, there was a lot more going on in California. So back to LA and uh, I moved into Laurel Canyon and uh, I started working uh, five nights a week, five sets a night, 10 minutes in between, which killed us for the first week and a half or so. But then we kicked into gear and it was like the, the breaks were too long. It was like, come on, let's get back on stage. <laughs> And uh, uh, during that time, I got approached by uh, uh, the producer of the Monkees uh, to do an audition. Mm. And uh, I did an audition and got the part. Mm. And, but as soon as I heard that, I thought, God, I, I just, I mean, the MFQ was really into some stuff that I loved. I said, you know, thanks a lot, but I can't do it. I can't leave the group. I really got to stay with what I'm doing. And they got Peter Tork. I was going to say, who did they get in your place? Yeah, they had everybody else. And mm -hmm. I said, oh, I, it was uh, Bert Schneider. I said, you know, uh, why don't you make the MFQ the monkeys? I mean, that shit happens to us on the road all the time, and it's real. He said, no, 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 we got a, we got a lot invested in these three other guys. Oh, we can just one more guy. And, yeah. I said, and I said, okay, and I just stayed with the MFQ. There, are, there have been times where I wondered if that was should I have done, but actually I think I'd be dead if I had done that, you know, um, that much success at that, and me being just a compulsive person, not, God knows what would happen. Right. <laughs> and so many things, other things wouldn't have happened that are great parts of my life. It's absolutely was the best decision anyway. And after making that decision, six months later, the MFQ didn't break up. We disbanded. Hmm. Uh, the MFQ is still going, really. Mm -hmm. Never really broke up, just goes dormant. We resurfaced in the mid-70s, again in the early or early mid-80s, started touring Japan in the late 80s and uh, making albums. We made all together maybe five more albums after the first two during all that period. So we did a lot. And I, it's funny, with a four-part vocal group, you can't do that with just anybody, sure. you know? And uh, so that's why we would never break up because you, you, to do that is a wonderful thing. And those guys, and it wasn't anything like the, pardon me expression, you guys, Eagles, who a lot of members ended up hating each other. The MFQs, we've always gotten along with each other. We're like brothers and uh, it's just a matter of love. And uh, anyway, after we broke up, Speaking of the Turtles, Chip joined the Turtles as the bass player, and he did the arrangement uh, of the horns and vocals uh, and guided the basic track of Happy Together. And uh, he came up to my house in Laurel Canyon uh, one afternoon. He said, hey, I want you to listen to some, see what you think. And I put it was Happy Together. I said, are you kidding? That's a number one record. He said, really? You think so? I said, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he, did, he had doubts. That's funny. <laughs> well, it was just undeniable. I yeah, mean, it was, yeah. and uh, and Bonner and Gordon were the writers, right. guys that we, uh, when we uh, got the folk rock thing going, uh, was really happening by the autumn of uh, of '65, mm -hmm. and we in like November we started a three month tour, 
in a Clark Cortez, which was the first mobile home that you could drive from the inside instead of towing it. <laughs> and there were five of five in the group and Cyrus's wife all in this thing and three months cross country and back. Wow. <laughs> and uh, during that time, Henry Diltz got his first camera yeah. as we were going east. Eight months later, he was making his living with it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he was, we, he would be laying out in the middle of a field when we stopped to take a leak or something. And it's like, Jesus, where's Henry? <laughs> and he'd be way out there lying on the ground, you know, taking a picture. It's like, come on, for Christ's sake, Henry, you get him. And at the end of that, tour we had a little a slide party and there there the slide pictures are funny when it got to henry's it was like whoa that's what he was doing out in the field mm. and uh it was obvious from the very beginning how amazing he was as a photographer mm -hmm. and just really took off anyway so meanwhile back with chip uh he stayed with the, the, the turtles for a while and then ended up producing the monkeys oddly yeah. enough and uh, had two big hits with them, or more, but a big album, headquarters album. Great. And uh, and <laughs> Eddie Ho played on some stuff of that. He played on like Daydream Believer. Um, I don't think that was on that album. Though. I'm not no, sure. No, it was on Birds, Bees, and Monkeys. It was just okay a single for and, a while. Yeah. Right. And I played uh, bass on uh, Shades of Grey and sang background on a few things. And it's funny, <laughs> I did a cruise with Peter Tork, uh, may he rest in peace. And I told some other people about that. I just played bass on Shades of Grey. Yeah, and Eddie Hope played drums on blah, blah, blah. And Peter came up and said, hey, man, you know, we played on all that stuff. I said, well, not quite, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like I said, you know, it's not a, it's like Clapton playing on some stuff for the Beatles. I mean, right. it's not a big thing. It was like a guest thing. And yeah, But it was that album was so important to them because it wasn't the wrecking crew. Right. You know, it was basically them. And, and uh, Mickey was, you know, he became a drummer for the TV show. I mean, he wasn't really a full fledged drummer. Right. So he didn't mind if Eddie played or, you know, like that, but, and he did play on a couple of things, but um, anyway, uh, and right about that time, uh, well, I did a, a session, Jack Nietzsche called me and he said, uh, listen, I got a, uh, I got a gig with the Turtles and I don't have time to do both of them. Can you take one of the arrangements? And I said, sure. And uh, Jack was a really good friend and helped me get started as an arranger. I did some ghost arranging for, you know, <laughs> I'd go to the session with him and there would be something, you know, they'd ask a question, the musicians, he well, let me think about that. <laughs> walk away with the walk away. I mean, what the hell do you mean by this? <laughs> it's supposed to be a C sharp, not a C. Sharp. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, stuff like that. But this one, it was just a full fledged Jack and me. And he did uh, She'd Rather Be With Me, which turned out big. And I did Me About You. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and I, I love the way that came out. And Joe Wizard was the producer. Hmm. And, uh, uh, Dave Gard was staying at, I was married to Judy Hensky at the time. And uh, Dave Gard was a guest at our house for like, oh gosh, a month or at least. He was trying to get his color guitar method going. Uh, he was living in Australia at the time and came back to the States for that. And uh, 
uh, went with us to the session and he brought these hash cookies, you know, that were just lethal. And uh, and he, he gave not only one, but two to Joe Wizard, who really wasn't into that. He just thought they were cookies. And <laughs> Dave really should have warned him. And I, I looked up from, we're doing the thing, and I looked up and Joe wasn't there, but his head was down on the console. <laughs> gone, you know. And anyway, right after that, I got a call from John Sebastian, who said that Zolly was leaving the group and would I replace him? And I said, Jesus, uh, let me think about it, John. I'll call you back. I called him back five minutes later and said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> So that's simple. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, I just said, what do you think, Judy? She said, sounds good. And uh, we did it. It was a tough move for her. Um, John Farche, who is still a really good friend, and turns out, of course, he's the the uncle of of my oldest son. Hmm. And it was gone by the time I, that we discovered each other. And I sure wish John could have met him, my hmm. son, uh, Jeff. And... Uh, he just would have loved him. Um, anyway, John helped drive us, uh, drive Judy and our, a lot of our stuff to New York from LA in our station wagon. And I flew uh, like 10 days before that to start rehearsals uh, with the group out on Long Island uh, at John's house. And uh, gosh, it wasn't but about three, four weeks when we did our first gig with me. And uh, started, it was a little, a little shaky at first, maybe, but it, it, uh, it clicked into overdrive pretty quickly and did an Ed Sullivan show not too long after that. Mm-hmm. Then uh, after the Spoonful album was finished, uh, Zolly started doing an album with Jack Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jack saw how, and he flew in from California, he saw how, this was not going to be like a week-long project. He said, you know, I'm not going to be able to be here that long, Zolly. Why don't you talk to Jerry about producing it? So Zolly came to me, and I said, sure. And so I started working with Zolly. And um, uh, we worked really well together and just had a great time. And I love the album, uh, Alive and Well in Argentina, it's called. Mm -hmm. And... uh, uh, he did, God, he did a, a version of Last Date instrumental on the guitar. And, uh, he, and he did one take, and I said, that's it. And he said, really? No one has ever let me have the first take before. I said, that's it, unless there's something you hear. And, and absolutely beautiful, just amazing. He was such a, an amazing guitar player. But we had such a great time, and there's the piece that ends it, uh, Lieutenant Stinkhausen moved through the fair. Was an instrumental that uh, that was I don't know about seven somewhere between seven and nine minutes long, yeah. but we had such a great time doing it. It took forever to mix the damn thing. It was a I mix. I've heard it before. <laughs> it, it was a mixed <coughs> composition. It didn't. If you started the machine and ran it through, it, you wouldn't have it. It was a mixed composition, bringing things in and out. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we got through with the album, uh, I said, you know, uh, Zappa just moved here uh, about the same time I did. And uh, let's, uh, let's go play it for him, see what he thinks. So I called him up and said, Frank, would you mind listening to a thing that Zali and I just finished? 
I said, sure, bring it over. And we listened to an especially like Stinkhausen, because <laughs> uh, it was that kind of, ir well, not quite irreverent, but uh, uh, it was just totally out of the ballpark and, you know, uh, didn't follow any rules. And right. so he liked that. And then when the album was finished, uh, for a budget of $42,000, I think, <laughs> which back then was a lot of money. Uh, Artie Butler, who was the president of Buddha Records, Artie Butler, no, um, Artie Rip. Oh, shit, I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> <laughs> you mind if we finish this uh, in Spanish? <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> um, well, anyway, producer, Artie Rip, let's just leave it there. Artie Rip. <laughs> <laughs> Artie Rip wanted to talk to Zolly uh, up at his office. Said, "Okay, Zolly, love the album. Can, when are you going to start getting out there and promoting it?" And Zolly said, ah, "I'm going to get into movies, so I'm not going to. I'm through performing." And wow. Artie said, "What?" <laughs> After all of that money, and so they basically dropped the album like a hot potato. They wow. Yeah, I never knew all that. I mean, I knew about the album. I've heard the album before. And, didn't do any promotion on it. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought, figured just people were, thought it was too weird or something. I don't know. Wow, if you no, didn't promote it. No, but two <laughs> years later, they re-released it yeah. with an apology on the back saying, <laughs> you know, uh, this really was a wonderful album and uh, you know, we, we dropped the ball, but here it is again. And But it didn't go anywhere then either. Uh, yeah. It was re-released maybe 15 years ago in Europe. Uh, but that's kind of it. I think it might be available on iTunes right. and Amazon, but I'm really not sure. Uh, I got my complimentary copy, and I've never gotten any royalties for it. Hmm. But uh, those things happen. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, I, I, you know, you cleared up a few things that I just didn't know. I mean, I'm a loving spoonful fan, but I don't necessarily know the history. I, I honestly thought you just kind of came out of nowhere when Zolly left. I didn't know you were already involved with the band or at least to work aware of them, you know. And yeah, well, Zolly was yeah. actually my best friend in the group when they joined. Yeah. Uh, we did, uh, did a lot of stuff together, uh, hung out together. and um, But I was friends with the whole group. I mean, I just, I really, really loved them a lot. And working with them on, a little bit on the first album, I played piano on Do You Believe in Magic? No. Oh, okay. uh, John called me up and asked me if I'd do that. And I got there just as Zolly finished his guitar solo. He overdubbed his guitar solo. <laughs> and he was just jumping up and down. He was just he was having such a great time. <laughs> it was a great moment. And then I did my boom, 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 boom you know, piano mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't hear it on the single. <laughs> it was kind of way back there. <laughs> uh, but when the CD was erased, uh, erased, hello, yeah. released, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when the CD was released, uh, it's a lot clearer sound. Yeah. And there I was. I said, I'll be damned. I, I think I, I, that's the version I've heard first. I, you know, I heard you yeah. guys on CD before, you know, I did everything yeah. backwards before a vinyl. And then went, well, that's yeah. uh, <laughs> only understandable. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people are just, totally in love with vinyl and i do love the sound of vinyl uh yeah. i just had so many experiences of finishing a record and playing for somebody and be da -da -da, and da -da -da, you know it was skip and you know i couldn't get the bottom end out of it that i wanted you know that kind of yeah. thing so uh, 
and digital is getting better and better every day. So I got no problem with it. <laughs> yeah. I still like CDs over vinyl. I still collect vinyl, but it's like, yeah, I, my preference would be have a copy both ways and have a big vinyl album just to have yeah. as a souvenir and then play the CD, and, you know, but. <laughs> and I, I love working on a computer. Uh, yeah. It, my studio is based on a computer and I, it's um, the way I like to describe that between tape and computer is the tape is like a photograph mm -hmm. and the computer is like a painting. Yeah. I mean, you can really get in there and uh, change things. Right. I produced an album for a fellow named Gavin Coyle in, from, who lives in Chicago. He's from Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, it turned out to be a, a wonderful album. I just love it. Um, but there were times where, like, I got to the, at the end, I thought, damn, I should st stop here, go into, you know, just as, you know, no rhythm, just uh, like shots here and there, no rhythm, and then back into time, you know. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't do that with tape, but it just right. worked perfectly in the computer. I love that. Very cool. Um, just one little thing. I don't know if you, you'd mentioned uh, almost being a monkey. Mm -hmm. um, but on a, I think it was uh, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, John Sebastian was on there, and he confirmed that uh, Bert and who's the other guy, uh, the other guy with Schneider, uh, <laughs> uh, Bob Rafelson. Bob Rafelson, yes, thank you. I'm having a senior moment. Uh, <laughs> that they approached the Love and Spoonful as a band first. Yeah. So yeah. that you knew that. Okay, so that is yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. Because I've heard that's yeah. kind of rumors, and then I've heard it's true, but John Sebastian yeah. confirmed that, that they were approached first. Yeah. Well, and then they started uh, looking for people. The per first one they got was Davey. Yeah. And uh, he was in New York uh, starring in uh, Oliver. Mm -hmm. And uh, Judy went and saw him uh, when we were still in New York and said, you won't believe this guy I saw who's yeah. playing the Artful <laughs> Dodger. He's amazing, this guy. And then... Uh, you know, flash forward like, a, I don't know, close to a year. We're back in L.A. and Bert and Davey came to the action where the MFQ was playing. Mm. And I was able to, I met Davey. And I said, ah, my wife uh, heard you and was raving about you. And he, oh, <laughs> thanks, mate. You know, <laughs> But, well, you know, we did a lot of, uh, when the Spoonful got back together uh, in 90 uh, yeah. and worked uh, for 25 years after that uh, until COVID actually. And then, um, but did a lot of stuff. Uh, the very first concert we did back together was in Athens, Greece mm -hmm. for UNICEF. And it was uh, Paul Revere, Dean, Dion, uh, Platters, uh, Davy Jones, uh, Mamas and the Papas uh, with, uh, let's see, who was it with us? Scott, I guess, Scott McKenzie, hmm. and, uh, and Cass, Elliot, Cass Elliott right. was replaced by uh, Spanky. Yes. And, and uh, oh, gosh, and Michelle was replaced by John's daughter, McKenzie. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but we did a lot of concerts with Davey after that, and he was just so funny. Yeah. The very last one we did was maybe, I don't know, six years ago, something like that. Uh, a couple, Well, it was a couple of years before he died. Yeah. And uh, he just had everybody cracking up all the time. It wasn't like forced or anything. It was just, 
so natural, so yeah. funny, you know. I have a lot of his solo albums. There's one that's just called Davy Jones Live. It's not a saying title, what? but it has like all this rapport and commentary that he does between tracks. And yeah, he yeah. said that's like his best live album because yeah, it's yeah. just genuine with the audience going back and forth. Well, I got a great story for uh, the last album. I think it's the last album he did, his Christmas album. And Chip uh, Douglas uh, recorded and produced it in Hawaii. Right in his studio and on the first day but they were going to record that night and davy said oh i'm going to go to the beach mate <laughs> and chip said listen uh, take some sunblock because ah oh, it's okay i don't sunburn he went to the beach and he got absolutely burnt to a crisp wow <laughs> and he got back and he he couldn't really hold his arms down to his side everything was painful so he was stripped down to his underwear this was in july I think, and uh, standing in front of a mic with his arms spread and his legs spread, going, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> now, when did he record that album? I've heard that he recorded in the 70s, and I've heard that he recorded no, it in no. the 90s, you know, or something like that, or late, a little bit later, but it was later. It was, I believe it was early 2000s. Okay, okay, because um, yeah. I think where the confusion comes from is because there is a version of White Christmas that he did release in the 70s just as a fan club single or something. Right. Maybe he didn't do that one with Chip or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I'm, okay. Okay. That's off topic, but I was just kind of curious yeah, yeah. about that because I thought, you know, how many times did he do these Christmas songs? I know they've been re-released a few times. In fact, as yeah. recently as last year, because that's yeah. the version I have, this daughter's. Well, uh, yeah, Chip, would, Chip just, uh, he never did really finish it. Yeah. You know, because. Uh, but he just got it finished in uh, this last year. Yeah, and that's the version I have, yeah. Yeah. And a couple of them made it onto the Monkey's Christmas album also, just, yeah. you know, but they sound a little bit different, but they're still the same songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the part where, I, well, before I go into the Turtles part, I do have a quick question. So your brother, Jim, was in the association. Um, did Still you is. do anything with? Yeah, uh, did you do anything with him back in the day when you had, or was were you just on your own separate path? No, no, we started together as the Yester brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, in '61, uh, I got a call from a guy who was a year behind me at Notre Dame High School, mm-hmm. and in my senior year at Notre Dame, uh, two of my friends and I did two Kingston Trio songs for the Spring Musical. Mm-hmm. Just uh, uh, one guitar, I was playing guitar, and then the three of us singing. Uh, El Matador, I think, was one of them. I can't remember what the other one was. But this guy who was a, a junior then called me uh, in, gosh, I guess the early fall of uh, 61 and said, uh, or might have been summer. No, it had to have been fall. Uh, he said, um, can you get those guys back together uh, to be entertainment for a dance at Corvallis High School next weekend? Uh, or it was like a week away. And um, uh, the girls high, Catholic Girls High School in San Fernando Valley. And I said, no, but my brother and I can do it. He said, okay, great. And, <laughs> and my brother and I just were singing around the house, didn't, you know, Everly Brothers songs or Kingston Trio songs. Mm-hmm and hadn't ever played anywhere before. And uh, so 
he came home from work and I said, hey, man, we're, we're going to be the entertainment at Carvalis uh, in a week or so. He said, what are you talking about? What am I going to do? What am I going to do with my hands? I said, well, learn to play the guitar. So he learned to play guitar for seven songs in that week. And, uh, and we did it and it went over really well. And he caught the bug. And so uh, uh, we started checking out the coffee houses in over in West Hollywood and the Garrett coffee house and the unicorn and the unicorn was owned by Herbie Cohen's brother, Mutt Cohen, who became our manager. And, uh, and then uh, Herbie came back from being a mercenary soldier with Che Guevara. I think it was at that time. Uh, he and Fred Weintraub were both mercenary soldiers. Uh, the guy who owned the bitter end, mm-hmm. they knew each other that way. Uh, Anyway, uh, and Herbie was kind of a wild man when he came back, but he calmed down and became uh, our manager, the in-group's manager. Uh, uh, Zappa's manager, wasn't he? Uh, Zappa, uh, Tom Waits, Tim Buckley, Tom Waits, Linda Ross. Oh, and Eddie way later, I know that. (laughs) Well, uh, uh, Howard is Herbie's cousin. Oh, I never knew that. I shouldn't have that. Herbie set them up. Herbie set them up in an office uh, in his office building right. when they when they were on their own as Flo and Eddie and uh, and got them with Frank Zappa to, uh, in the beginning. Okay. But uh, yeah, but they knew Zappa too because I, I've known you know that you know as the turtles and and the mothers going around in the early days you know yeah. everybody seemed to play the same clubs. I mean you're probably part yeah. of that too. You know so. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, when the MFQ was working at the Action, yeah. uh, I didn't, Frank was uh, very new to the scene. I had no idea who he was, and mm-hmm. n- neither did a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. And he came up like uh, one of those 10-minute breaks and said, hey, man, do you mind if I s- sit in on guitar? And it was a night that we were just really cooking. I said, no, I'm sorry, man, but I got to <laughs> have this one. I didn't know who he was. You know, I didn't yeah. know if he could play or not. And I, and I, I wanted that set. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I turned him down, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it uh, it didn't really uh, sour him on me. Uh, he was r- shortly after that. He was my neighbor on Kirkwood in Laurel Canyon, just like three houses down. Yeah. And uh, uh, we'd visit him. And he and Judy became good friends. Um, and I, I was I was coming up walking up Kirkwood. Um, when they had gotten back from their first gig, I think it was, uh, the mothers, mm-hmm. and the band was standing out in front of his house just pissed off. I said, what's going on? He said, nah, can you believe that guy says we can't smoke pot? <laughs> and uh, I said, really? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> and, uh, and, well, we're going to show him. We're going to, you know, but they didn't show him. And <laughs> yeah. he said, if you want a job, great. If you don't, smoke away, you know. Right. Um, but everybody else was certainly into it in California. God knows is into it now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arkansas is not, mm, <laughs> but yeah. I haven't, I haven't smoked it myself in 36 years. It's been a while for um, me too. It's like, I go, why was it legal then? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm up here. Yeah, in gotta, I'm up here in Oregon. So if you're wondering, yeah. ah, well, we moved here from Portland actually. Okay. Uh, we lived there for four years, uh, six years in Hawaii before that. Oh, wow. 
and 12 years in Burbank before that. So were you uh, in Hawaii, since you said that, at the same time as Chip and Davey at the time? Is that what it was? Or no? uh, it was right after that, oh, okay. right after I moved right. to Portland. Okay. But it was, in, it was in Chip's studio that MFQ was using. Oh, okay. We uh, made a studio in, in Hilo. That's where I, I was living in Hilo. And in downtown Hilo, we rented a, a space in a tiny little strip mall that had a Korean, I don't know if it was a strip club or just a <laughs> friends club. Or right. Pretty girls, <laughs> hostesses, you know, and, uh, and a record store. And at the end of the record store. And the guy who owned the record store became partners with us. He was also a house builder. So he helped us build the studio uh, so he could use the studio once in a while. He, uh, he wanted to try engineering. And uh, we did, gosh, we did uh, uh, like f- four or five albums for the Japanese in that studio. And it was, it was a nice place. We could, studio Naruka, it was called. And Naruka is a word that nobody could, nobody knew what it meant. And we asked all these people in Japan, what does Naruka mean? Well, and they, they couldn't tell us, but they used it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was a word. It just, yeah, it was kind of like, it's kind of like, what the, huh? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So um, obviously, you know, you were friends with the turtles already at that point yeah. in the 60s and doing your own yeah. thing um was had you already done production because i know you did like production of uh pat boone uh was that at that time before the turtles or basically was that later okay it was basically at the time okay we started we went into pat boone's studio he owned sun west at the time out at the far end of sunset right uh near uh god one of those streets, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, where sunset wants to end. You know, oh, and, I know uh, what that is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a huge roller rink across the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually, let me think, it was one of the first studios I ever recorded in when I was like 16. And I was in a, like a garage band with some local friends of mine in Burbank called Tom Driscoll and the Tomcats. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Tom Driscoll was just a born promoter. He talked us into rehearsing, talked us onto the NBC soundstage mm-hmm. where the Tonight Show's done now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just walked onto the place and told everybody he was a good friend of John West who owned NBC. Mm-hmm. They, oh, God, no problem. Anything you want. <laughs> so we rehearsed there for a, I don't, my concept of time is a little funny back i mean it seemed like a couple of months it might have been a couple of weeks but uh until this guy walked up to tom said who are you people and tom said well i'm a friend of john west he says well i'm john west get out of here (laughs) (laughs) so that was the end of that but he talked us into free time at a recording studio in hollywood and i can't remember what it was named but it was the same building and uh installation is sun west uh, it was at the time it was uh it might have been probably just mono and two track hmm. but uh anyway uh so uh i went in there to record farewell of Deborah and and i 
called Zali to see if he wanted to be partners in the production. Mm. So we formed Hair, Hair Shirt Productions, it was called, mm. <laughs> and uh, started working on Farewell of Deborah. And the manager of the studio really liked what we were doing. And he said, listen, uh, Pat wants to make an album. And would you guys be interested in producing it? Yeah. So we talked to him. I said, sure. He said, well, the thing is, we need to start it pretty much right away. And I said, well, we'll, we'll put I'll Deborah on hold uh, for the time that we do Pat. Mm -hmm. So we did his album uh, called Departure. Mm -hmm. And it, it turned out really well. We, uh, we got to pick the tunes and the people. And uh, God, we were using um, a lot of Elvis's band, uh, Jerry Chef on bass and uh, 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 another senior moment. Larry Nectal on piano was, uh, and uh, uh, Clarence White on guitar mm -hmm. and, um, and uh, his Elvis's number one guitar player, Jim, uh, <laughs> got him. I can't believe I can't remember his name. He's really, he was Rick Nelson's guitar player in the really old days. Uh, they brought him out from. I think it was Charlie Hodge, but I don't think it's him. I think it was from, uh, from uh, Louisiana. I, mm -hmm. uh, anyway, God, why can't I think of his name? Burton, James Burton, for Pete's sake. Uh, anyway, <laughs> great band. Uh, Toxie French playing drums and, uh, and did uh a couple of John Stewart songs. We did John D. Loudermilk songs, uh, Biff Rose, mm -hmm. um, and Pat sang his ass off. You know, he really came through. <laughs> when we first started, it was Zolly was staying at our house out in Woodland Hills. And on New Year's Eve, mm -hmm. uh, we were, Zolly and Judy and I were, didn't go anywhere, just at the house. And I'd given Judy a set of hot rollers, you know, Clairol hot rollers. Mm -hmm. So we were bored. She put Zolly's hair up in hot rollers. He's sitting <laughs> there with his hair in rollers. And he said, I, I'm going to call Boone. And he called him up. And he said, hey, hey Pat, uh, can you sing your hits over the phone? We want to kind of get into the mood. And he started singing all of his hits. And Zolly's holding the phone. I go, on a day like today, we passed the time away. And uh, just had the best time. And Pat really liked Zali a lot. And uh, we got along really great with him. Um, and uh, there was just some wonderful things that happened. Uh, the, we had a big band in the studio, uh, a lot of players and brass and horns and uh, rhythm section. And uh, the, the guy that did all the checking of sessions for the musicians union came in. And Zali uh, saw him coming in and took a $100 bill out of his pocket, stuck foot in the guy's jacket, said, hey, yeah, go have lunch. <laughs> and the guy went, <laughs> and Zali grabbed it back on. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, you know, because it was all, it was a union session. <laughs> but a lot of great. Uh, things and then we finished that album and then uh, finished Farewell Aldebaran, then did the Fifth Avenue Band and uh, Tim Buckley's uh, third album, Happy Sad, over at Electra. We went there, yeah. And then Zolly and I uh, kind of ended our partnership. He went off uh, and was part of uh, oh gosh, the thing that the uh, 
founding members of uh, Saturday Night Live uh, were doing on Broadway or off-Broadway um, with Chevy Chase and those guys. Oh, the Lemmings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah of the Lampoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot okay. of Canadian people, and Zolly was Canadian. Bro. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, uh, and then uh, I started producing other people and got a call from the Turtles. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, let me see, was that... Yeah, that was before Judy and I broke up. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I can tell you the chronology. I mean, it's like, so the Turtles, they had Chip doing Battle of the Bands. It was like then, 1970, yeah, I think. And that was in 68. And then in 69, they did uh, Turtle Soup with Ray Davis from the Kings. Right. And then right, right. they started work on what you were working on, which was going to be an album called Shell Shock. But this is where the story gets kind of muddy because they never really talk about you much. Like if you see that Turtles documentary that they made a zillion years ago, uh, yeah. you're not mentioned at all. And they just act like, oh, after Shellshock, we recorded Lady O, which they produced themselves. And then we broke up. And it's like, wait a minute, you were still doing stuff into 1970 and quite late well, into the well, year produced, and with I Jerry. Produced. And it's like, what's going on here? So that's, that's kind of the whole purpose of me cutting contacting you because it's like i want to know that part of the story (laughs) well i produced like nine things for him yeah and And i have all the tracks that i think you did written down so i'll ask you about them (laughs) what ended it was uh the the label going out of business yeah and then they bought their uh masters of all their stuff Mm -hmm. howard and mark did and they never paid me oh which has a lot to do with them not talking about me Oh, and they never paid Chip either for his wow. production. Yeah. In fact, they told Chip, uh, uh, "Get a lawyer, go after it." Mm-hmm. You know, he was on the phone with Howard and Mark, and they said, "You know, go for it." Yeah. We got we got Mutt Cohen here in his old office. Go for it. <laughs> and and uh, which would have meant spending a lot of money on a really good lawyer. And Chip just said, "Screw it," and I never went after him either. It's just you know that surprised me. Because I don't think they paid the band either. Yeah. Well, they're going through a lot of turmoil. I mean, that part I do know. I mean, it's like they're going through different managers. They're being sued and blah, 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 blah. But they should have still paid you. (laughs) I don't think Howard and Mark were going through a lot of turmoil. Yeah. You know, they they had Mutt Cohen's office behind handling any legal problems. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think so. Okay. They act like they did. Okay. Maybe they did. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean. uh, I just I was just surprised okay. you know, that uh, that they would do that. So or not, why, or why not. did they? I mean, obviously your friends. I, I suppose before this. I mean, why did they call you? I mean, was it just because you're available, or you'd done good I don't production know, maybe, on the Pat Boone album, or what? What was there? Maybe because John Sider was in the group. I don't know. Oh, okay. And did he John, did he John? vote for you to produce the group? Was he like? Uh, could be, could be. I, okay. I really don't know. Okay. Uh, but uh, a year after that, uh, John joined Judy and I uh, for Rosebud. Okay. And and was in that group until Judy and I broke up on stage one night. And uh, uh, and then John and I became very close, and uh, I started producing, and he and David Vaught and Peter Climbs and I became a team, a, like a production team. Yeah. Um, bass drums guitar and production and i play keyboard a lot uh, also 
so, and John and I have been close ever since, even though we've been geographically separated. Right. But is he still in New York, or where is he? Yeah, out, okay. uh, I believe it's out on Long Island. But uh, okay. the last time I saw him was uh, in Pittsburgh. The Spoonful did a, a one of those PBS uh, money gathering uh, oh, yeah. things <laughs> they do, you know. And now you know, we'll break from the program and blah 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 to raise money and. Right. And uh, so we did a, a segment of that along with uh, Spanky and our gang. Yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, Eric Weisberg was there uh, uh, doing, you know, like his stuff uh, that he did, like uh, for, um, you know, the deliverance. Mm -hmm. Like he and Eric, he and uh, Marshall Brickman were like the banjo and guitar on all of that oh, wow. stuff. <laughs> It wasn't that kid, you know, it wasn't him. Right. It, I, well, I figured, but it's, they did the Doom yeah. Angels report. I saw Eric. I yeah. I knew Eric, I knew Eric from the early <laughs> days in the village, you know, in 63 and 4 in the village. Yeah. And, uh, but he was, uh, he hung out with bikers. Hmm. And uh, if you saw, if you saw him just on the street, it was, you know, hey, how are you doing? But if he was standing with the bikers, you'd walk up and he'd, you know, <laughs> don't say don't say nothing i don't know you <laughs> but i saw him in pittsburgh at this gig and he walked by and he had these scruggs tuners you know that you yeah make the second string go up and down down <laughs> yeah. you know that's where they get that sound that down 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 you know it's turning these tuners and i and they were made by this guy named walt Pittman in california uh who did them for Scruggs and all the other big banjo players. <laughs> he walked by and said, hey, are those Pittman pegs? And he whipped around. He said, really? You don't have that? <laughs> we <laughs> talked for like a, a half hour about that. And then and Tommy Makem was on the show, and he, uh, he, uh, um, I talked to him for like two hours over lunch, and just it was great. It was just all these people. Trini Lopez. Mm. Uh, uh, I talked to him like three hours when I asked him, so how'd you get started? <laughs> Something like that. He gave me his whole life history. And it was, it was interesting. I, you know, mm -hmm. and it went from the bar up to a room where the guy who was putting uh, the PBS thing on and then back down again, you know, and then back in, I moved to Pop Springs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's really an interesting fellow. I, we just had a good time talking. So, um, yeah, I guess back on the recording session. So, um, uh, oh, I do have on my note. You mentioned that you worked on Me About You uh, that ended up on the Happy Together album. I did write that down. So I do, I yeah. did give you credit. So um, do you have memories of specific tracks? Or if I said track titles, would that spark a memory of uh, what you produced on that uh, album or anything like that? Because yeah, some of them came good. out and some of them didn't, and they eventually well, I, all did. I saw I saw an album called Shell Shock that had those things on it. Yeah. So, um, but a lot of them weren't released at the time. I mean, like in '69, no, 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 a, no. a few of them were released in '74 when Flo and Eddie got the rights to everything, and they put a few. Right. Of them. Yeah. And then a few were released later, and then some were even released after that Shell Shock album, which you know is kind of surprising that they still find things, but. Um, so, I mean, uh, 
I, I guess I'll go through track by track. If you say I don't have any memory, that's fine, you know, whatever. Right. But um, one was called Can I Go On? Does that spring a memory? Hmm. Not exactly, no. Okay. Then the other one, this one seems like uh, it was designed to be a hit because Flo and Ed re-recorded re- it on their solo album. It was Goodbye Surprise. It was a Bonner yeah. Gordon one. Yeah, uh, that was an absolutely dynamite record, the way we did it. It was this guy named Barry, I can't think of his last name, was the engineer at SunWest. And he put the bases left and right. He like put them out of phase on the left and right, which sounded great in stereo. When you put it in a mono, the bass disappeared. <laughs> you know, there's ways of doing that now, these days, but uh, uh, it just, something happened. And it, and it also came right about the time that White Whale went belly up. Mm. So the, the, there was no promotion because there was no label. Yeah. But it was a really good record. Uh, uh, Howard, next, Howard next, sang really great. Next one I have is If We Only Had the Time. Is it? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, another one called Like It or Not. Yeah. That's another uh, Bonner and Gordon, I think. Oh, okay. Um, now, when you're producing these, did you have any input or did you just say, oh, yeah. all right, we're take next? Next one well, we're doing. <laughs> I, when I produce, when I produce, I don't like to get in the way of the band. I like yeah. bringing out the band. You know, I, I don't, not like Phil Spector. God knows you, <laughs> the band has nothing to do with it. Right. Uh, but if I had an idea, I'd run it past them. Okay. I would, certainly wouldn't insist on it, but I would, you know, right. run it past them. Uh, and it was a good relationship. We had a, a good time doing it. Were they pretty much still considered together at that time, or were they kind of already drifting apart? No, they were very together. Okay, okay, because I've I've heard differing accounts that, you know, they were pretty tight as a group until they broke up, and then after that, well, yeah. Yeah, well, and it was after that that they broke up. So, yeah, they were were very tight and really enthusiastic, like Gas Money was one of the ones uh, that they just had a great time with. Now, did you and, produce that? It didn't say that you yeah, produced them. And yeah. Teardrop's the other one? So how no, did... Not, I'd, have, I'd have to hear it to make sure. Well, they're, they're that, both like doo-wop sounding songs. I mean, if you're and, saying uh, Gas Money, that, that it's similar to that. You know, it's yeah. Mark singing no, I did, Teardrops, I, and I think it was Jim Pons doing Gas Money, if I remember correctly. I don't think it was Pons. Oh, maybe uh, it was one of the other... But it was one of the other it, ones. I don't it think was, it was Howard. Howard and, Mark, Howard and Mark did all the leads. Okay, uh, okay. So maybe it was Howard on that one. Okay. <laughs> uh, or Mark, you know. Yeah. Uh, it could have been. But, but how did that come out? You, you mentioned that one. How did that come about to do one kind of like a, a doo-wop style versus well, they, just the standard late 60s well, they came, rock and roll? <laughs> they came in with it and said, we want to do the song that we knew way back when, you know. Okay. And, and played it. And I said, great. <laughs> Let's do it. And I, I think we did it in one afternoon. It just, it was done, it was very loose. Uh, but that was the way those things were in the old days. And um, so it came out really good. That and who would ever think that I would marry Margaret was another okay. one. That, uh, <laughs> so you do remember that. And I believe that was the B-side of Goodbye Surprise. I'm not really um, No, it was the B-side. Yeah, it was the A or B-side. Or, I forgot. It, it we may ain't going to party A-side. no more. We ain't going to party no more. Was right, the other right, side. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Because good, yeah. su- actually, goodbye surprise never got released back in the day. It, I know, it was I only know. when Flo and Eddie well, got together that they put it. Like out. I say, it, it happened right when White Whale went belly up. Yeah. Now, Flo and Eddie, or Howard and Mark, if you prefer, um, always insist that they never wanted to record. Who who would ever think that I would want to marry Margaret? Were they really that adamant about it, saying I don't want no. to do it? Okay, no, they want. <laughs> They wanted to do it. Okay, okay. So they you know, it maybe they're making up stories to kind of, you know, grease it unless up or something. Were, <laughs> unless they were putting on a big face for me, but it, yeah. uh, they, brought, they brought it in. They wanted to do it, and we did it. Okay, because they acted like, this is the part of the story that I've heard, is they acted like White Whale insisted that they had to record this, and they didn't want to. They hated it. But then they said, okay, fine, we'll do it, just so we can keep recording. <laughs> well, Maybe I just I never heard that I never heard that part of the story and it okay. didn't seem to me that they were against okay. it. And you know you can't hear it on the recording. It sounds like they're having fun like anything else. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. I don't know. Um, another one that never came out but was kind of unfinished. They did again as Flo and Eddie is Marmondy Mill. It was kind of like this epic thing that, that I don't. Okay, so you don't remember that one very well. Okay. Uh, another one, I don't think they re-recorded this one. There You Sit Lonely? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, okay. that we did. Okay. Yeah, I didn't do anything uh, when they were Flo and Eddie. I mean, that... Well, no, I don't cool. mean... Origi- maybe they just demoed it, you know, and that maybe you didn't find, do a final recording. Because some of these have come out in recent times just as... They're listed as demo, you know, not as yeah. a, a final recording, so... Somewhere I have tapes of, uh, you know, like rough mixes of the stuff we did. Okay. I'll have to see. I'll have to go through those someday. <laughs> okay. Uh, a couple more. Um, you Want to Be a Woman? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm straining your brain from 52 years ago on this stuff. Um, it was and, a while ago. And then the last one, this one also was re-recorded by Flo and Eddie, and I think this is only a demo, and you may not have even helped in a strange girl. Does that sound familiar? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure about that. Okay. And then this is a really obscure thing. Um, apparently before White Whale closed, they copyrighted a bunch of song titles. Now this doesn't mean that they actually were real titles, but I'll just rattle them off if anything sounds familiar, but none of these have ever been officially released, at least with these names. One was called John's Medley. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was called I've been gone too long. Uh, one called Kathleen's Brain. <laughs> uh, let's pack and beat it on the inside. Mm, no, that's Saturday that movie. Like a, okay, which that's, one? That almost sounds familiar. Let's pack and beat it. Okay. <laughs> and now, if you don't remember those, I don't blame you. You know, because I mean, they could have been working titles for other things. I don't know. It's just something White Whale copyrighted before they close their doors for good. And right. uh, so, anyway. Um, I just mentioned all these things because I said you were kind of there at the end. What you know, maybe you knew something about it, and if you don't, that's fine. I was just kind of straining your brain here on some of these things. You know? Yeah, the only time I saw them after that, after they made the album, and after they stopped being the Turtles, was uh, I believe it was after they stopped being the Turtles. Was uh, uh, Howard and his wife split up, and Judy and I had split up, and I started dating his ex-wife. <laughs> She was really a sweetheart. I, I really yeah. liked her a lot. And I wasn't really crazy about the way Howard treated her. But uh, but I liked her a lot. And she ended up 
doing well, I think, as far as having a nice life. I think Howard has gotten married four times, maybe five in his life. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have his autobiography. I can't remember. I can't keep yeah, track of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so obviously you were at the very end. Were you there like when, I mean, to, for lack of a better term, when they broke up? I mean, like, no. let's no. let's stop now or uh, no. did, how did it stop for you? Did they just stop coming to sessions or what? Yeah, no, no. The, record companies ceased to be so there were no more sessions oh so did they call you and say hi there's no more sessions stop coming or what pretty, pretty much okay pretty much yeah <laughs> he said uh white whale doesn't exist anymore so we're gonna okay. see what we can do and blah 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 but that was it for me and them as far mm. as recording went wow now they did actually release uh like a compilation later in the year that had earlier songs like it called Woodenhead. But that was like late 1970, and that was after your involvement. So yeah. uh, I guess the label existed just as like a label, but not recording new acts or new recording yeah. or anything. Is that what it? Yeah, I'm not aware with? of that. Okay, yeah. So um, now another thing is Mark and Howard act like it was eons before uh, they got the call to go into Zappa's band. But when I'm looking things up, it's almost like it was like less than two weeks, but maybe two well, weeks seems like a long time back in the day when you don't know what's coming next. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I was saying about, uh, oh, certainly my time with Tom Driscoll and the Tomcats and those things, things that seemed like a year were actually yeah. like a month. You yeah. Know? <laughs> uh, because time was stretched out so much more at that age, you know? Right. And you also and, didn't know what was going to happen next. In hindsight, you could say it was only two weeks. Big deal. <laughs> There's a lot of things from back in those days that I think lasted longer than they did, just because I was so much younger than I, you know, right. then. Yes. You know. uh, it's so just a natural. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay, well, you know, I was just kind of curious about that time. But, uh, you know, during the time you were recording them, everything went pretty smoothly. They didn't have any yeah. bickering or fighting or anything like no, that? No, no, it, okay. it was always, it was a lot of fun. The whole thing was a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, because they always act like, oh, it was falling apart. But it, I guess everybody's emotion were different. I mean, if you were, like, kind of not actively involved with the group, you're just producing them, it was probably just fun every time that they showed up. Right? Yeah. And there were some social getting together, like uh, uh, we went to dinner at, uh, at Howard's house one night, just a very social thing. And, and it was, you know, uh, there weren't any rough edges hmm. in that whole time that I recall. And then there may have been because Howard and Mark were, had been close since they were really young right? Uh, before the Turtles. And so they were like an entity inside the entity you know so they may have had some planning for the future that didn't include the band very likely but i wasn't aware of any of that uh, now did you ever work with any of them again either on stage or any other johnny john cider okay cider but uh with mark or howard or anything no later on no. okay not even no. those reunion tours or happy together God. tours or anything. No, my brother though has done a ton of. That's them. true. And true. Yeah, the association's got, usually part of those and Harry Pocket and they, stuff like that. They got one coming up, and I was not aware that uh, Howard is 
been gone from it for yeah. three or four years. Yeah, apparently he uh, has uh, heart and back problems. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And so Mark well, goes out with you know, Ron Dante now, the Archies. So <laughs> I can dig it. I mean, the um, I've been thinking of myself of, of uh, touring again with either the uh, Spoonful or somebody, yeah. uh, or by myself. But I had COVID a year ago this last June, and I'm still getting over it. And yeah. Um, I, and it gave me considerable emphysema hmm. you know, as a result. And so my stamina is way down as far as, you know, I can't imagine walking fast through an airport to catch a plane. It would, you know, right. I'd be one of those guys in the wheelchair, you know, <laughs> going to the plane. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't, I don't want to go out until this Delta variant is, uh, right. come under control because, if I get that again right. uh, and it attacks my lungs again, that could be it, you know? Right. So um, as for me, I, I, I am going out and about, I did get vaccinated and everything. And uh, I actually saw, um, I'll even show you, I got Marshall Tucker band. <laughs> it's probably oh, yeah, backwards yeah. on here. Yeah. Right on. So right there's on. only um, one member. He's been the only member for quite a while now, but uh, he's 73 now and he, He's still going out. He, yeah. they just started um, going out again, and yeah. that was my first. That was last night, actually. No, a couple nights ago. It wasn't last night. We were going to talk last night, right? Uh, it was yeah. Wednesday night, and uh, yeah. yeah, he seems to be doing well. And uh, but you know, everybody I've been talking to in music, I've talked to Bobby Rydell, I talked to Gary Puckett on these shows. Uh, they're hesitant to really excited about getting back out on the road and a lot of them are starting about this time but i mean if you don't have the stamina for it i i totally get that too you know it's like yeah well you know if i hadn't gotten the covid i'd be i'd be fine i'd still be leery about it right but uh uh i mean it really kicked my ass uh, yeah. uh you're still was, here yeah it was covid pneumonia and uh mm. um it was a bitch and uh, so um, we're basically still in uh, partial isolation, my wife and I. We just go out. We'll go to the restaurant where our daughter works, or we'll go to the store. That's kind of it, you yeah. know. And we're masking yeah. when we go to Walmart, for God's sake. Nobody in um, – 28% of the people in Arkansas have been vaccinated. Wow. You know, that's just so – it's – you know, it's the Bible belt. They say, God will take care of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rest in peace is all I got to say, you know. That's all I put on this. It's crazy. Uh, um, so assuming, let's assume the best. Okay, let's say you get your old stamina back. Uh, do you foresee yourself maybe going on the tour a couple of years from now, doing something either solo with the band or something else? Well, uh, I, it might be solo because I'm working on two albums now that are – each one is 80% finished, oh, and I really cool. like them a lot. And uh, I'm going to see if I can get them uh, to a label that will do something with them. Mm -hmm. There's a label I heard about in California that specializes in people my age uh, from the, you know, that have a history. Mm -hmm. And there's also a label like that in Germany, one in Holland. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to try, and, and also Omnivore, I'll try them too. I, I really like them, and I did a yeah. solo album for him uh that was released uh in seven october 17 and um 
So, uh, but if I can't, then I think I'll be my own record company. And I want to have a, a commercial website anyway, um, selling artwork and books and, and all different kinds of my music. Uh, so one way or the other. But as far as I don't know about performing, I have to see if I can get the stamina back. And if I can not, if it's under control where I'm not worried about getting the Delta variant, you know, right. or any other kind of thing like that. Yeah. It's not worth it to go out and come back and die, you know. Right. <laughs> um, how about producing? Do you produce other people's records anymore, or uh, is that kind of like in the past also? Well, or? it's been a while. Uh, yeah. People are uh, so much into doing their own thing now, you know. Uh, it's so much easier to record yourself. Right. But, uh, and I've been so concerned uh, with the, uh, like I, I was 10 years performing in Eureka Springs mm-hmm. uh, uh, three nights a week. And at one time I was working four nights a week, uh, a hotel here and then two places in Eureka. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but the COVID kind of changed everything, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, nobody was working and it, or they're working uh, online, you know, right. <laughs> a lot of that stuff going on. So they're starting up again in Eureka, but I, like I say, in the red states, it's it's a gamble. Yeah, I mean, you go to Walmart and you hear people say, "Ah, it's just like the flu." Well, the flu didn't kill nearly uh, six hundred thousand people. Okay, right. you know, the highest it ever was was like forty-eight thousand casualties with the flu. Right. Yeah. It's um, pretty scary. I mean, I I was masking yeah. up completely. I was I was working from home for the longest time. Then I did start working out in an office again, but had to wear a mask and was uh, got the temp my temperature taken every day electronically. Yeah. Yeah. And then after everybody started getting vaccinated about a month ago, they started saying, "Okay, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore." So right. Um, but I well, work now, in the health industry, so I mean they're very careful about yeah. it. They're giving the tests and everything like that. So. And there's some people who are saying it might have been a little too soon. You know. Yeah. Like if and I'm being cautious. Really- I mean, even when I was at uh, Marshall Tucker's band, I, I wasn't in the audience. I was outside the gate. I mean, you could still see the band, but, uh, you know, and distancing still because it's like, who knows? I, yeah. I don't know these people, you know? It's like, you know. It's a toss-up. It's really a toss-up. Even if you're vaccinated, you can still get it, you know. Yeah. Chances are slimmer, but, you know, still, you know, so yeah. I'm trying to be careful. You know? Yeah, and in the meantime, I'm just – uh, I enjoy working in the studio, and that's what I'm doing. That's cool. Um, well, I mean, I guess that's pretty much all the questions. I Oh, I had one last thing. Um, sure. So about 2006, Howard uh, Kalen did do a solo album uh, with Billy Bob Thornton uh, called Dust Bunnies, and they did cover a song that I believe you wrote called Snowblind, co-wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So were you aware of that? So, I mean, no, you do I have wasn't. a connection to him belatedly. I didn't know if you knew about that or had anything to do with it. Or, no, or no, at least no. talk about that song a little bit for a second. Uh, it's a song that uh, Judy and I and Zali wrote. Yeah. And, uh, no, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. That's he does funny. a decent job with it. You know, he, he really belts it out. You know, Howard could oh, sing good. all the way yeah. uh, until he stopped, until <laughs> he stopped touring. But, you know, it's like... It, 
Yeah, so Howard's a fine singer. He really is. Yeah, right. What was that song originally for? Was that for Farewell Aldebaran? It was oh, the okay. opening what... song of Farewell Aldebaran. Okay, that's what I thought. I just want to make sure. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, okay. yeah. It came together uh, one night in the studio, mm-hmm. and Larry Beckett was staying with us for a while. Uh, so it was Beckett and Judy and I, and then and Zolly because Zolly was also <laughs> it was the four of us in one house, mm-hmm. and um, Judy had just finished the lyric. And uh, and I guess we were waiting for Gary Brandt to set something, but we just started messing and just started taking hold. It just started working. And, mm-hmm. and within an hour, it was done. Uh, Zolly playing bass, Beckett playing drums, because he was the drummer in the Tim Buckley band when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Jim Fielder playing bass. Uh, and... Uh, and we got the first take, and it was like the two takes. <laughs> and uh, uh, and Gary recorded it uh, live with the vocal and, and the, everything going, except for a guitar solo. And then Zolly put on a, a lead guitar, and that was it. You know? Very cool. Yeah. Now, the way uh, Howard performs, he, he performs this really thumping beat. I don't know if yeah. the original one is that strong. Yeah, but, boom, you know, boom, and then he goes, snow blind, yeah. kind of like really <laughs> grinds it out. Well, like that. That's the way he sang it. <laughs> well, yeah, it, uh, Judy sang it and sang her ass off. You know? yeah. uh, she was really, uh, really quite good. So the genesis of that album that I found out by interviewing Andy Kahn, the keyboard player for the Turtles a long time, uh, as he said, yeah, uh, Andy said, let's record something. Why don't you do songs you've always wanted to do? And apparently that was one he chose. You know, wow. he did like 10 tracks and that was one of them. So, wow. Yeah, so I guess well, you he know, liked, uh, we really liked it. <laughs> and Omnivore re-released that album in 2016. Yeah. And uh, we went out to California and did a, and performed at the, uh, uh, at the Grammy Museum and then at McCabe's. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just had a great time. I, was it you that I already told that story to? Or no. No. <laughs> no, this is new here. <laughs> no, I, was talking to my, I was talking to my friend Dave Bias today. And, I told him, <laughs> and all five of my kids sang background. Wow. <laughs> on that. And it just, it was wonderful. We had a great time. Very cool. Well, that's all the questions I have. Uh, usually at this point I say, um, well, you said you weren't touring right now, but if you have anything you'd like to promote or a website or how people can get in contact with you, anything else? Uh, uh, well, the website isn't happening yet, but it'll be jerryester.com. Okay, very good. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to getting that together. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, uh, of my own artwork and uh, I have a children's book that I want to peddle in it and my new fetish, which is making refrigerator magnets. Oh, cool. <laughs> Very I cool. got into a fetish of drawing fish, uh, <laughs> my own kind of fish, and uh, I think that'd be fun. But that's just that's just for fun. But uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, anyway, well, very good. It was a pleasure speaking with you for the last hour or so, and uh, uh, thank you for uh, being a guest on the show today on the Fun Ideas Podcast. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Jerry Esther, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 126 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com.
Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.